0: come together, and, um, and so we do web, web streaming out of the prayer room, and so there's a group in California, when we went out to them, they said, we can't wait for Tuesday at 4 to show up, because we're always wondering what Dave's hair is going to look like. He's one of those New Yorkers with a little bit of, you know, pizzazz, so he always changes his hair every other week, but he's got a little EP, extended play thing out there on just some of his, uh, some of his music, and I love it. Let's turn to Revelation 4. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Word of God has life on it. We thank you that it is alive and active. And so tonight, I just ask that you would anoint the Word of God tonight. Just asking now for the Word of God to have power and impact on it now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Revelation is an interesting place to start a gathering, but I'm jealous for what John encountered. John was the last apostle alive. They were all young adults like you when Jesus first called them. And when Jesus, he's establishing his kingdom, he's establishing his church, and he walks and he looks at the religious leaders of the hour, and he sees a bunch of People who are skilled in the law, they under, understand the scriptures to a degree, of course. And he looks and he finds this group of young adults, truly. Because we get, have this picture of the apostles being these mature believers. No, they were kind of flaky. It's very evident when he left what happened to them. They were kind of flaky, young adults. Anybody can relate? Uh-huh. But in that, he leaves them with the foundation and he says, my church is going to be amazing. You are going to establish my church and it's going to have power and impact, impact in, the goal, in the globe. And along those lines, as they began to mature in the faith, all of them began to fall more in love with the Son of Man to the point that every one of them except the one that left early Judas all of them besides John died a martyr's death not one of them abandoned the faith but some of them said i am not wor- one of them said i am not worthy to die like my christ for i must be crucified upside down none of them would deny the faith they would say you can take my body You can take my riches, you can take everything, but you will not take the longing heart that I have cultivated for the Son of Man. And and the Apostle's story, all of them, ends with the life of John. He gets put on this island. And I'm jealous for what happened to him. Because it says that he was one day, he was out there. We start in. Jesus has been talking to him. Chapter four starts like this. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place. And John says, immediately when I heard that, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven. And then he says, and there was one who sat on the throne. And he who sat was like a jasper and a sardius stone in his appearance. He says, the only way that I can describe him is to speak of this jasper. He said, at the core of this God is a burning, fiery heart. And he said, there's a sardius stone. And it's like light bursting forth from it. And then he goes on and he says, And around, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. He said, This God is full of mercy. He said, At his core being is longing, desire for creation, glory and light, majesty bursting forth. And around him is this emerald rainbow, and it speaks clearly of his mercy. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and on those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings thundering and voices, seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are in heaven. Excuse me, burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Verse 6, before the throne there was the sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were these four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. We stop there. What is John is seeing is actually he's touching eternity. It's been, the veil has been lifted. John saw what I long to see, what I want to see. He saw the throne room. So I truly believe that outside of time, outside of space right now, there is a sea of glass. And on this sea of glass, there is a beautiful God who's sitting upon it, and he is orchestrating history from that throne. Longing desire within him, majesty breaking forth, and a God who moves with mercy. And he goes now and now and he begins to describe these four living creatures. And these things freak me out. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. I have yet to get great revelation on these dudes. Verse 8. These four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night. I truly do not know the full purpose of these four living creatures. But it's evident through other portions of scripture that they have great influence in the kingdom. But it says that these ones, these four living creatures, it says they're full of eyes around and within. And they look on God. They look on God. And they never rest. They never look away. They never yawn. They never slumber and they never sleep because they stand fascinated at this God, captivated by this God. And they, they release a cry. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. He's transcendent in His beauty. There is no other being like Him. heard a preacher once say, for a hundred years, they stand and they sing the songs of the eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The End of a century. God, he pulls back and he shows another aspect of who he is. And All of heaven gasps and they cry for another hundred years, singing the songs worthy of the Lamb. He's transcendent. He's worthy to take the scroll and to lead human history. There's no other God like him. Senses have been awakened. Eternity is seen clear. And heaven gasps in awe going, this is our God. He's beautiful in his nature. He's stunning in his appearance. He's just in in his release of the kingdom, in his management of the globe. This is our God, and what John saw was the veil was lifted. The veil was lifted, and he saw into eternity. Right now, you live with a veil over your eyes. We live with a certain veil that's over our eyes that we do not, we cannot see into eternity. But I promise you, as we live this life, outside of time, creation evolves around this throne. It revolves around this throne. Many times I'm so consumed with my own reality in life. But there's a beautiful God outside of time that all of eternity is looking upon. And I am excited about a new job opportunity when heaven is waiting there for me. You look back through history and you see some of the saints of old who have touched something of eternity. They've touched God. And in touching God, as you 've read some of the biographies of some of the missionaries and some of the saints of old John Whitfield John wes excuse me, John Wesley, and George Whitfield, as you see some of these ones, they touched something and they said, "I want nothing else but to touch and to see God." It is said of George Whitfield that they thought he was a complete lunatic because he got to the point where he was so physically weak from praying and fasting, he couldn't get out of bed. He wanted God so bad. And in his hunger for God, there was one night that he had a heavenly encounter with God, the age of like 19. And from that moment on, a great shift took place in his life. But he touched God. Little bunny trail. By the time George Whitfield was 22 years old, He had three congregations, three separate congregations that he would go and preach at. All of them were over 10,000 in number. They would build this amphitheater behind him that would help propel his voice forward. Without amplification, he preached to three crowds of 10,000. He hungered to touch eternity. God met him and endued him with power to preach the gospel. It is said that there would be such silence in the crowd. Such fear of God would break in. That there was one moment when a man was sitting in a a tree. And he dropped dead because he would not recognize God. Under the preaching of George Whitefield. A man who hungered for God. If you go back through history. And you go way back through history. There is this one. That I want to be like. And his name's King David. King David, he's born into a family. And being born into this family. He's the youngest. He's the runt of the family. So he gets to go out and sit on the backside of a hill somewhere. And look after sheep. And in looking after sheep. He begins to ponder God. He begins to ponder what, is eternity, what does eternity look like. And he's hungry and he wants to know what God looks like. And so in doing this, he begins to pursue the knowledge of God. What does this God look like and who is he? And in his pursuit, heaven is watching. This, this king comes into place. And this king is not found to be one that walks in obedience unto the knowledge of God and under, under obedience unto God. Heaven makes a decision. We must find another king. Searching through the land, looking through the nation of Israel, and this young man is highlighted from heaven. And heaven says, we found one who wants to know me. So the journey of this one As a prophet is brought to the family. Goes through all of them. And he says, we still have not found the one that I am to anoint king. He goes through and he says, you must have another one. He says, well, I have another son. He's out in the field. He says, go get him. He brings him in. And as soon as he brings him in, the prophet says, this is the one that will be the next king of Israel. And anoints him king. The next season of David's life is truly precarious. For this king finds out that David is to be the next one and hunts him unto death. And the journey of David's life for the first period of of time of being anointed king is he's hunted like a wild dog. And in that, I'm sure he had some ups and some downs. But I promise you, he had some times of daydreaming. I don't know this from the scripture, but if I was that dude... I'm sure I would have thought just for 10 seconds, what's it like to be king? I walk into a room and the whole room turns and notices me. I move my right hand and a thousand men move as my finger grows across. I will have riches. I will have the honor of man. He says, in that I will have prestige. Power will be my base. I'm sure he has some type of daydream like that. But in the context of him on his way to the throne of the nation, he writes Psalm 27. Psalm 27, he's not yet king. And we know that because he's still being hunted. still being hunted. But as he's writing this psalm, he makes an interesting phrase, which is actually the foundation of the house of prayer in Kansas City. And I don't speak from this very often, but I want to tonight. Psalm 27, verse 4. He's hunted. He's being pursued. He knows he's going to be king. But we get a glimpse of why heaven has chosen him to be king. We get a glimpse of why heaven has said, this is the one that we want to be king. Because he makes this strange declaration for a, a yet to be king. He said, there's one thing that I have desired of the Lord. He says, I'm going to seek it that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And in the context of this, I want to stand in awe of this beautiful Lord. And in the place of worship, it is that where I will ask of him how I am to lead the kingdom. But he says, as a young man who's yet to be king, I need to bring some priority to my life. He said, there's one thing that I want. He says, as I've sat down and I've gone through the... my, my focus and my life commitment, those things that I'm going to run after. He said, I've prioritized my pursuits. And he says, there's something that is at the top of my priorities in life. He says, yes, I'm going to be the ruler of a nation. He says, yes, I'm going to have a job description that is going to be very, very intense. He says, I'm going to be have a lot of responsibilities in life. I'm going to have to make a lot of influence, I mean, decisions that will have great influence. But he says that there's something that's supreme beyond all of my responsibilities. He said, there's something else that I want. He said, I've been moved with desire. He said, there's one thing that is moving me forward. And we have no proof in scripture that David ever saw what John saw in the book of Revelation. But I think. Heaven drew near David. And there was something that was stirred within him. And he says, I have desire something. He says, I've seen something of God. And he said, there's one thing that I want. There's one thing that I desire. And that is the thing, the motivating factor of my life. He says, I've touched this one called the Creator. The Genesis 1 God who spoke and creation came into being. He said, I've seen and I've tasted and I long for Him. There's one thing I want, and that is to touch the depths of God, the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. He goes, I want to experience them. I want to move after them and I want to touch them. There's one thing that I desire. A little bit of my story. As I said before, I was raised in the church. I knew that I wasn't supposed to run in the sanctuary. If you get that picture of that, you understand how I lived in the church. I knew that I was called to be a preacher. So I went into missions. I worked hard. Dwayne Roberts Ministries International is going to hit someday. Just kidding. But wholeheartedness, being faithful, looked like going hard after the ministry. For you, if you're not called to be in the ministry, I want to be the best teacher I can be. I want to be the best engineer I can be. I want to be the best lawyer I can be. Wholeheartedly pursuing it, running after it. And God, in his complete grace, humbled me and broke me. It's 30 years old. I was at the place where I would almost be excited to go home. I was living in Budapest, Hungary, to move back and to become a garbage man. The in-laws, they work for a garbage company. And I thought, dude, I'll just go back and do that. God in his grace humbled me and broke me. And it was in that place that I lifted my eyes. And I truly think heaven goes, "Ah, we've got him for a season. And in that place where I said, God, I'm at the end of my rope. I need you. I want to understand. And it was in that place that God began to speak to me and began to awaken me unto who he is. And what was placed within me that hour and that season in my life was a longing for God. I truly had some amazing experiences where God began just to speak to me about me. And I think King David, as a young man, no, I know that from the scriptures, I know that King David had encounters with God where God spoke to him. Because as you track through David's life, that boy screwed up. I mean, majorly, murdered, An individual. Lived a life of adultery. But he makes these amazing statements. After completely blowing it, he goes back to God. Psalm 18, he goes, you delivered me because you delighted me. He goes, you like me. And I was a young man. Felt like I had failed. I'm standing there, postured there. And I begin to feel God's delight upon my life. I begin to feel God's enjoyment upon my life. Dwayne, I like you. Dwayne, I desire you. And I'm truly skimming the tops. This was an amazing journey of revelation and the knowledge of God. And as I began to touch God's delight in me, I saw the ripple, Reciprocal happened within my own heart. That desire began to be awakened for God within my own heart. I was a minister of the gospel. I was a missionary. And I had a classic two to five minute prayer life a day. Truly. Doing missions. Wanting to see the gospel have impact. Impact. But having a prayer life of two to five minutes a day, the word of God, bone dry. To where God in his grace stirred me and awakened me by him speaking of his delight over my life. And as I began to feel his delight touching the depths of my heart, something exciting I felt feel like began to take place in my own life. Because I truly had this conversation with my wife, Jennifer. I said, honey, this is living in Budapest. I said, I need to get a hobby. I need a hobby. I'm just kind of bored. I truly said that. You know, you're looking at all these, and trust me, in Budapest, hobbies are hard to find. (laughs) You know, here you can go down the street and you can see 10 things you'd love to do. Then something took place when we moved to Kansas City. I truly saw these couple of people who I would say they were passionate for God. And I looked at them and I said, my, that's attractive. I like that. I want that in my own life. From the posture of being a little bit disillusioned even with God, wondering about ministry, wondering about Dwayne Roberts, wondering about my call. I see somebody who likes God, truly, who would actually sacrifice entertainment to see and to experience and to study and to read about God. And it began to awaken something within my own being about I want to touch this one as well. And like King David, he says, I have a desire that has been awakened within me. My inner man is, I've touched something that is not like anything that has, this world has to offer me. The riches of man cannot steal what has been cultivated within my own spirit, my own heart, longing for the knowledge of God. Paul the Apostle, he says, "I've taken account for everything in my life, Philippians three. and he says, "Everything is garbage." He said, "Everything is rubbish." compared to the excellencies of seeing and touching God. He says, I want to be a man that experiences the excellencies of Christ. It's about your heart touching the eternal God. That is what you were created for, and that is what you were made for. And often, we are totally excited and content to dream about our 401k. But the knowledge of God, it's touching a human heart. The spirit of revelation awakens us. And we begin to say, I want the knowledge of God to break into my spirit. I want something that fascinates me besides a movie that lasts an hour and a half. I want to touch eternity to the point that I will sacrifice. To the point that I will say no to pleasures that I would experience a greater pleasure. The heart being exhilarated in touching God. And David says, there's one thing that I desire. And then he says, I am going to seek after it. He says, I have prioritized my life. And I am going to put energy into seeking after the knowledge of God. He says, my relationships, my friendships will spend their time like this. But I will say no to that. I'm going to be a one that will get up at 3 and 4 in the morning. Because something is birthed within me. I want to touch the knowledge of God. God. Somebody will say, I will stay up till midnight, two, three in the morning. Because I touched the eternal God. I'm not saying you're going to go on a journey that's going to be incredibly rosy every day. But I tell you, you go after it with a vengeance. You are going to hit these seasons where heaven will draw near to you. Where heaven will come close to you. The religious culture within this land has numbed you to the reality of eternity. Sunday morning, life, in many ways has done a great, great detriment to the heart. I was having a conversation last night around the dinner table with some people I met here. We were just talking about the American church and just what's going on in the nation. And I said... Let me preface it by saying this. A friend of mine phoned me up. Said, Dwayne, I want to talk to you. And then there was this big silence. And I thought, oh no, what have I done? And he goes, he starts out and he goes, he asks the question, why do I go to church? And he says, I know This guy was raised in the church all of his life. And he goes, I know that it's right for my kids to go to Sunday school because they'll learn about the the scriptures. But he said, I feel like it's more profitable for me to go and spend it with with my family than it is even in that build that structure because I'm longing for something and I'm not getting it. And I said, the remedy for the soul that sits in the pew on Sunday morning screaming for eternity is that we would preach on the excellencies of Christ because every heart is longing to touch the knowledge of God. Every heart was made. It's no little joke that says you were made with that little square within you that longs for eternity. And nothing is going to satisfy the human heart until it touches Jesus. Until it touches eternity. And when a heart touches that eternal longing something is awakened that moves you towards it so you will be like king david where you say i will put my energies into pursuing and seeking after the one called jesus i will take my energy and i will focus it and i will go after him this has not happened very often and i've told this story way too many times it has to happen more to me. It was just one night I went into the prayer room about 10, 10.30 at night. Put my Bible down. It was kind of a wild prayer meeting going on. And I opened up my Bible. And as soon as I opened it, I felt like the Son of Man just drew near me. And for about 30 minutes, I talked with Jesus in the most profound way. And I just had this amazing encounter with the, knowledge of Jesus, with the knowledge of God. He spoke to me. He said, Dwayne, I love you. And it was like his affections were just going into the very core and the foundation of my life. Dwayne, I love you. 29, I was probably 30, 31 years old. And I hear these words as a young man. And it just melted me. And I said, oh, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I must touch you. And when we have those encounters where the revelation of the knowledge of God touch a hungry heart. And when the hungry heart experiences the excellencies of Christ. One will stand up and say, I will change my priorities in life because I've touched an eternal reward. It's called the heart experiencing Jesus. And he says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. King David says, when I'm 70 years old, I want to come into the presence of God and close my eyes and weep because I love God. He says I will end my life in love with God. You ever done those you ever done the 7 habits of an effective leader? All those leadership courses? You ever written what you want written on your tombstone? You ever done that? I have. I think our current leadership models are somewhat misconstrued with the scriptures. Because yeah, I want to walk out what I'm supposed to do here, but at the end of the day, I will have considered myself to have completely failed if I'm 65 and 75 years old and I don't love Jesus. I will have lost my way. If I'm 70 years old and my heart is not tender. My heart is hard and calloused. I will have considered myself to have fallen short. Because like King David, all the days of my life, I want to know you. And I have prayed a very dangerous prayer. But I just started saying it publicly, so now it's on the books. But I have said to God, and I say it again tonight, that if my... Mandate and ministry get in the way of me loving you please humiliate me and let it fall because I do not want to have great success in this age and yet be bankrupt in my inner man can you imagine standing before the eternal God saying I led in the stadiums. I did the great exploits. And then heaven looking down. Because this is in the scripture. This is totally biblical. And Jesus saying, I never knew you. Matthew 7. They're going to prophesy. They're going to speak with power. They're going to cast out demons. And their excuse is going to be, I had a great ministry. And Jesus is going to say, it's awesome but you missed the entire point of the of the gospel you did not know me Mary of Bethany she's a young woman around in the time of Jesus Mary of Bethany she has a sister and a brother And Jesus has come into town. And Martha, her sister, invites Jesus and his disciples into her her house. And Jesus comes in, sits down, and the disciples sit around him. And Mary, the sister, breaks all the rules. All of the cultural rules of the day. And she goes and she sits at the feet of the rabbi says, I want to hear what the Son of Man has to say. And as she's doing that, Martha is getting irritated. Martha is upset. And goes to Jesus and says, Do you have any idea what is taking place right now? I don't know if you've noticed or not. But I'm working. I am hosting you. And it's a little bit of work. And my sister is not helping me. And Jesus, I can picture this in my mind. He looks at her. And in gentleness, he says to her, listen. The son of man is in your house. And you are distracted. He uses that word. You're distracted. You've lost your way. Your eyes are clouded over with the eternal one. And then he points to his sister and he says, but this one. She's chosen the one thing that is necessary. And I love this phrase. And he says, that heart that she's cultivated, it will never be stolen away from her. The riches of man, prosperity, power, poverty, persecution. Nothing is going to steal away the affections and longing that has been birthed within her. And as you follow the story of Mary of Bethany through the scriptures. You see this time as Jesus is being prepared for the cross. Mary of Bethany takes this oil that is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars in our day. And pours it over this one. Everybody freaks out. Jesus stands up and he says, What has been cultivated in this woman's life? The the choices that she has made. The example of of devotion and longing and love. Is going to arise as a memorial wherever the gospel is preached. To paraphrase. The longing, desire, and devotion that Mary has cultivated is the example that is being poured forth as the gospel goes out. What has been birthed in the longing of Mary of Bethany is to be found within the longing of the church. The motivating factor of the body of Christ is to be a longing gaze for the eternal Son of Man. Meanwhile, I am all caught up in what is Dwayne Roberts' ministry supposed to look like. As a missionary, my identity was so wrapped up in who I was going to be and what I was going to look like that I totally missed the point of the gospel in my own life. And God, He wakened me to the knowledge that there is something more important than anything I'm going to do in my life, and it is about my heart being engaged with a longing desire for the Son of Man. And as that began rooted, became rooted in my life, I made some radical decisions and changed my whole priority structure to where now the most important thing is that I love Jesus and that my family goes with me. If I don't get to have the Disney vacation, it's completely okay because my kids will love Jesus all the days of their life. I might not have the great job. I might not have the big car and the great house. But I tell you, with my changing of my priority structure, I will have my heart fascinated with an eternal God. And this generation, I'm in great fear for. For all of the statistics are saying now, that it is this this emerging generation that is going to totally abandon the Son of Man. All of the statistics are telling us now, that this emerging generation is going to totally walk away from the Son of Man. They're saying now that a junior in high school begins to wander. As they become a senior in high school, they no longer attend church. And when they hit the university campus, they are completely gone. Our structures have ruined, actually, many of them. The Dallas Cowboys sign at the end of the football game, John 3.16, has become a great phrase, but it's lost the power and the impact to move the human heart. And I am great, I'm in great fear that we are going to lose this generation. They say right now that 80% of the tithes that come into the local congregation are paid by those that are 55 years and older. Give us another 20 years. Who knows what the, what the church will look like in America. But I tell you, we have a little bit of the spirit of revelation. We just have a little bit of the spirit of revelation begin to awaken the hearts of this generation. They get a grasp of the knowledge of God touching them. They get awakened into the knowledge of God. And we will see a great turning in this land. And I can't wait for the cry to come forth. Though none go with me, I will find my way in touching the knowledge of God. We need heroes in the faith once again to stand in this land against humanism, against liberalism, against persecution on a campus and begin to make a call. There's a worthy man, there's a worthy man. And all of creation revolves around this one. He's captivated me, and I will lose everything, but I will gain life in me going after the Son of Man. And it will come. As you yourself personally touch the eternal Son of Man, and as you become awakened, I tell you, we've got George Whitfield sitting in this room if you will go after the knowledge of God. We've got John Wesley's awaiting, waiting to come forth if you will go after the knowledge of God. It is about us touching eternity. It is about our hearts being exhilarated with the eternal one. It's fascinated. King David said, "There's nothing else that I want. I've touched God, and this is what I want." Let's have the worship team come up. We, we do about this is our ninth one of these this year. And I pray exactly the same prayer every time. And it's this amazing prayer that I quoted earlier out of Ephesians. Paul, he prayed it for the church in Ephesus. And he said, Father of glory, I ask of you now, I ask that you would release revelation and wisdom and the knowledge of him. And the hymn that he's speaking about is the Son of Man. And Paul says, I ask that you would open the eyes of their heart. I'm asking that that, gay, that that haze that is over the eyes of their heart. The sin, the shame, the condemnation that is clouding their gaze. I'm asking that you would open their eyes. That they would see the eternal one. And in seeing that, would you release power on the gospel. But Abba opened the eyes of their heart that they would grasp and that they would see him. And as Paul prayed that, a great movement took place through the church in Ephesus. A large portion of the church in Ephesus was awakened to the knowledge of God. And that's what I've been praying for you this weekend, coming up in preparation for this weekend. This morning, my prayer was, God, awaken everyone that comes. Everyone that comes through these doors, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, would you awaken them? Would you woo and longing and awaken a longing for eternity? And as we begin to see hearts turned and fascinated with God, we will see great satisfaction within the walls of the church because we're fellowshipping, we're loving one another, and we're worshipping, but we're touching the eternal one. So Heavenly Father, again tonight, I pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for every one of us that you would release revelation and the knowledge of God. Tonight, now, I ask, Abba, would you release wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of the Son of Man? I'm asking once again for the gospel, the cross, the power of the cross to come upon our hearts tonight. Spirit of revelation, woo us and awaken us to eternity. I'm asking for a deposit of hunger. I'm asking for a deposit of longing to be put within our hearts tonight. Gracious God, put longing within our hearts tonight. Spirit of God, awaken us to who you are, to the depths of the knowledge of Christ. Stir us and awaken us, we pray. Stir us and awaken us, I Let pray.
1: Let it rain.
0: Jesus, awaken Let it
1: us. Rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. The knowledge of God. Let it rain. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain. Yes, my Lord. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain, Jesus. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain. Arba, revelation. Open the heavens, Abba. Open the heavens. Open the floodgates of heaven and let it rain. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let I'm
0: Of Christ, which passes knowledge, so glorious Father, oh, let us know the love of Christ—the length, the breadth, the width, the height. Let us know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Awaken us to the affections of
1: Jesus. So let us know the love of Christ. Oh, we want to know. We're desperate. We're desperate for the prayers and
0: We have to learn to understand is that the Scripture says the enemy has come, and his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And what he's talking, what is the goal, is to actually steal the passions of your heart, to actually steal the longings that have been that have been placed when you were born again. So, the Church, the Book of Revelation, he says, you've lost your first love. To the Laodicean church, he says, I don't have a wholehearted church. You're of mixture. Your, your passions, your passions are, are, are everywhere. And he says, I want your heart. And the enemy's goal is to steal anything. And he will actually do that by giving you success. He will steal your passions by giving you success. He'll steal your passions by getting you addicted to pornography. He'll steal your passions by condemning you and lying to you and hammering on you. He'll steal your present, your your passions by bankrupting you. By putting an idol in your life that you long for, that you love. Fashion, design, money, jealousy. He will do anything to steal the longing desire Tonight, my prayer is for you that those things that are stealing your passion should be set free tonight. Because the enemy's goal is to steal longing for the eternal one. And any way that he